All right. Thank you so much. And you can be seated tonight. And again, I'm so glad that you're here with us in our service. After uh, we have service here for just a few minutes right after church, I'll ask you, if you will, to be seated here in a few moments. We'll talk about uh, maybe our plans going forward into these days. But as for right now, uh, let's take our Bibles. How many of you brought your Bible with you to church? All right. Good. And it's good to see the Bibles. Let's take our Bibles, open them to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2 tonight. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. I have an old Schofield Bible. That's page number 1280 in our Schofield Bible, or 2 Timothy, chapter 2, which comes right after 1 Timothy. Well, aren't you glad you come to church to learn that? Right after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And we're in the closing verses of this chapter. And so I'll ask you, if you will, just to leave your Bibles open and uh, follow me along here in just a moment, all right? And I hope you've had a good Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I trust God will speak to our hearts here, if we can, best as we can. And I know there's so much going on, and your minds are probably like my mind, going in 5,000 different directions. But if we could, uh, just, just maybe... Push all that aside for just a moment, and let's just focus our attention on the Word of God here tonight. I want to begin reading with verse 22 and just read the rest of the chapter. And then, if you will, just allow me to go back. I have three things I'd like to say from this text tonight. Verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captain by him, captive by him at his will. Now, I know reading that, you're probably thinking, good night, what in the world in this day of coronavirus does all this have to do with us? Well, if you'll listen to me tonight, I'd like to just, if I could, make a very practical application to these verses tonight and pray that God will help us from them. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now, I pray. And for just a little bit, Lord, may our minds and our attention be focused on what the word of God has to say. And bless us, we pray, for these few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, for the last several Wednesday evenings that I've been here, we have been making our way through this great book of our New Testament, the book of 2 Timothy. And I've been calling this entire series of sermons a manual for maturity. And, of course, the one thing that we're emphasizing as we move through this book is the need for God's people to reach the state of maturity, to leave the infancy stage of our Christian life and to move on to grow in grace and knowledge and to mature in the things of God. I told you last week, I guess it was, that one of the great problems that we face in our day is that too many of God's people are living too close to where they got in to the family of God. You know, if we're not careful and we hang around that area where we first got in, as I've illustrated, it sure is awful easy to reach back over into your unsaved life and start bringing some of that garbage and that baggage from your unsaved life and dragging that over into your, into your saved life. 
And when that happens, man, uh, it's a series of things just begin to break down. And it's time for God's people to move away, to move on in their Christian life. Well, that's what this book is all about, helping people reach the point of maturity in their Christian life. Tonight, we're talking about the church for just a little bit. And I think all of us in here know the very important part that the church has to play in the lives of God's people. I think... Most of us in here have the understanding tonight that, that church is the place that God has specifically designed uh, for you and I to come and meet with Him and to worship Him. Now, I get it. I'm like you. I mean, I've, I've admired God's uh, handiwork and I've admired God's power and, and God's ability while being out in nature before. I've, uh, I've been places before. I, I don't know. It was not... Too long ago, I guess back in the fall, I drove by. I love maple trees in the fall because they have such beautiful color uh, to them. But I have driven by maple trees before. And uh, just that brilliant color that they've got in the fall. And I just say to God, bravo, God. Man, what a great job, Lord. I mean, and in a way, I, I praise God riding down the road looking at a tree. And I understand, you know, we can praise, we can worship God anywhere. I get that. You can worship God on a creek bank. You can worship God on a lake. You can worship God in the mountains. You can worship God by, by the ocean. I get all that. But I think we understand that the one place that God desired and God designed for His people to come and to worship Him is the house of God. And everybody, whether they admit it or not, needs the church. We got a little saying around here, it goes something like this, every believer needs to be a belonger. And I know that's bad grammar, but it's good theology. Amen. Everybody that gets saved needs a good church home. Everybody that gets saved. You know, God's plan, if you're here tonight, and maybe you're wondering what God's plan is, I, there's a lot about God's plan and will for your life I don't know, and I get that, I acknowledge that, but I do know this about God's plan for every life in this world. Number one, get saved. Can I have an amen? You know, it's always God's will for people to be saved. God never has set a crowd over here and said, okay, this is my crowd that's going to heaven. And God has never set a crowd over here and said, okay, and this is a crowd that's going to go to hell. And they can't help but go to heaven, and they can't help but go to hell. Can I tell you something about our God? God has willed it in His divine sovereignty. God has willed it that every man be saved. That's God's plan. If you're sitting here tonight and you, you're kind of wrestling with that, let me put your mind at ease. God wants you to be saved. God loves you. It's God's will for you to be saved. After you get saved, guess what? It's God's will for you to get baptized. Can I have an amen? It is God's plan. After you, Now, don't get baptized before you get saved. You get saved, and then you get baptized. Now, a lot of people get the cart before the horse, and I get that. But I tell you, after you get saved, God wants you to get baptized. And then after you get saved, after you get baptized, God wants you to join a church somewhere. And get inside that church and make your life count for the glory of God. Being a member of a church is important for a variety of reasons. I could say, number one, being a member of a church is important uh, for the reason of identity. I mean, you and I identify with Christ by being a member, by coming to the house of, uh, the house of God. We, ident we identify that we are a child of God. You know, when I go to the hospital, which I do quite often, I know who works there by what they're wearing. I mean, when I see a guy walking down the hall and he's got a stethoscope around his neck and a white coat, I know pretty much that guy must be a doctor or an employee of this hospital. You know why? I identify him with that. 
by, by, the, by the clothes he's got on. Uh, when I see somebody, uh, uh, you know, maybe with a military uniform on, and he's got all those bars and those stripes, I know that guy's part of the military. I can tell uh, by what he's wearing. And can I say tonight that when you and I get saved, we ought to identify with the house of God. We ought to identify with God, and one of the ways we can do that is by identifying with the house of God. This, by coming to church, what you're doing is giving a testimony that you are a child of God. I'm so glad you're here tonight because you gave an identity. You identified the fact that you love God by being in the house of God tonight. It's, we need a church for identity. We need a church for maturity. I've been preaching about that. But I tell you what, this is a place where we give out soul food right here. I mean food for the soul that helps you to grow and mature and become what God wants you to be. We need a place, a church for ministry, identity, maturity, ministry. We need a place where we can exercise the spiritual gift that God's given to all of us. And we can do that inside the confines of the local church. And we need a church, fam a, a church uh, in our lives because of family. We need... A church family. I mean, think about this. When you go through a time of death in your life, think about the importance of a church family. Hey, when you go through a time of sickness in your life, think about the importance or a, just a hard time in life. Aren't you glad you can come to church, walk into your classroom or whatever, and know there's some people around you that love you and are praying for you? That's the benefits of a church family. You know, when we meet at church, we always meet with others. I thank God for my brothers and sisters that I have in Christ. I thank God for the brothers and sisters that I have in our church. In many ways, I am closer to our church family than I am my own personal flesh and blood family. You know why? I see y'all a whole lot more than I see them. I'm around you a whole lot more than I am around them. And I just want to say, I am not without my faults. I am not without my failures. But I dare... I dare, how dare anybody question my love for this church? I'm not perfect. I've got my struggles, my battles, just like you do. But don't you ever question whether I love this church or not. My heart is here. My life for the last almost 25 years has been wrapped up in this place. I love you. I love our church family. But as we meet together here in the house of God, as we meet in this place, let us not forget that every time we walk in these doors, there are three types of people in this church. And they're identified right here in this text. So here's what I've done. Look at verse... I've gone down through here, and I have circled three words that identify the three groups of people that are in every church. First of all, in verse 22, I have circled the word them. So if you write in your Bible, circle the word them, all right? With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Them. But then if you'll drop down to verse number 25, I have circled in my Bible the word those. I'm alliterating here, y'all forgive me. But uh, the word them, verse 22, the word those in verse 25, and then the word they in verse 26. So let me tell you something. Every time we come to church, we meet with them, those, and they. Are you with me? We meet with three groups of people 
Don't forget this. When you come to church, there are three types of people sitting inside the church. You say, who are they? Them, those, and they. Are you ready? Let's jump into this tonight. First of all, look at verse 22, and we want to talk a little bit about the those. The those. And I'm calling the those, if you'll look up on the screens, I'm calling this first group the delightful company of the real. The delightful company of the real. I'm talking about people that are in church that are real. By the way, I love that crowd in church that's real. Amen? And by the way, when I speak about that real crowd in the church, that delightful company of people that are real, I'm saying I'm talking about the majority of the members of Woodland Baptist Church. I'm going to tell you something. I get it just like you. I know there are hypocrites in every church. I know that. I get that. I know that there are people in our church that represent themselves to be one way at church, and they walk out the doors of the church, and every day of the rest of the week, they're not at all what they represent themselves to be when they come to the house of God. I get it. I'm not so naive to think that everybody in our church is, is right and everybody in our church is real. But I'll tell you something. In our church, there are more of the real crowd than there are the wrong crowd. Amen. There's more people in this church that make up the delightful company of the real than there are the hypocrites uh, that people associate with the house of God. I wanted to say tonight, I believe that some of the best people on the top side of God's earth tonight are members at Woodland Baptist Church. I said the best people. I'm talking about people who are not perfect. I'm talking about people who are not sinless. I'm talking about people that have battles, people that have struggles, people who, people who uh, maybe at time to time they, they get whooped. I get all that, but aren't you glad you can come to church with some real people? I'm talking about people that are genuine in their faith and to the best of their ability they try to keep their heart pure and call on God. That's the real crowd. How many real crowd are in here tonight? Say amen. thought there's more of you in here than that. The delightful company of the real. I thank God for the real crowd. I thank God for that delightful company that come in here and man, when they leave here, they're going to live right. You're not going to have to worry about them. They're not going to go out and do things and say things and live in manners that are, that are displeasing and dishonoring to the Lord. Thank God for that delightful company of the real tonight. Illustrated by the them of verse number 25. I'm sorry, verse 22. Now, if you'll notice again in verse 22, that delightful company of the real are doing two things. All right? One negative, the other positive. Let's start with the negative. First of all, look at verse 25. That real crowd, they flee some things. They flee some things. Look at verse 20, 22. Flee also youthful lust. Hey, if people that are real are going to run from some things. People that are real are going to flee. They're going to avoid. They're going to reframe. Frame. They're going to leave some things. And then Paul says this, flee also youthful lust. Now, most of the time when we start talking about lust, our minds automatically default 
to, to the idea, the concept of sex. And, and by the way, I think that's probably implied here. Anybody that's real ought to flee from anything that is uh, uh, anything to do with sexual immorality. Man, we ought to run from that. You know, the Bible said we're to fight Satan. Resist the devil, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We're told to fight Satan. We're told to run from lust, sexual sin. Run. Can I tell you, the best thing you can do, if you're being te tempted in a sexual, immoral way, go over here at the stinking shoe show, buy you a good pair of running shoes and run for your life. Get you a good pair of Nike tennis shoes and run. Old Joseph back in the Old Testament, when Potter's wife, Potiphar's wife started dragging him off toward the bedroom, he came out of his coat and the Bible said he get him out of the house. Can I just say this? We ought to run from some things. We ought to flee from some things. Something pops up on your computer that ought not be there, run from it. Yeah, man. Hey, you, you see something on TV that ought not be there? Flip the channel. Run from it. Flee youthful lust. By the way, uh, we, we think about that. Paul said this over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me read it to you and we'll move on. It says this, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. That means his body. We talked about vessels last week. Remember that? Those preceding verses? Every one of you ought to know how to possess his vessel, his body, in sanctification and honor. Look at this next verse. For this is the will of God. All right, number one, it's the will of God for you to be saved. It's the will of God for you to be baptized. It's the will of God for you to join a church. And number four, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from, say it with me. It's the will of God for us to stay out of sexual sin. Amen. I know we live in a day and an age, brother, when people just, I mean, it's rampant. They show it on TV. It's, it's sang about on the radio. I mean, it is. We live in a day and age that is gone sex crazy. But God's people ought to flee that mess. It's still the will of God for you to stay pure before you get married. That's still God's will. Amen, preacher. Now, if I'm going to stop and do my own amen, we're going to be here a long time tonight. I need some help. Hey, you teenagers in here, it's still the will of God. I know we live in a day and age when, that says, if it feels good, do it. But the Bible still says we're to abstain from fornication. Stay off the computer. Stay out of that pornography. Stay off the HBL, uh, HBL, whatever, NFL, whatever, MLB, whatever it is. Stay off them Cinemax and Filch channels. You, I wouldn't pipe that garbage in my house for all the money in, in Fort Knox. Man, why tempt yourself? Why put that at the, at, the, at, the, at the reach of a click on a remote control? Hey, we ought to stay. Flee that mess. Flee it. Run from it. Dead men flee some things. I'm telling that real crowd, they run from some things. They flee some things. By the way, if you look back at verse 22, he's talking about youthful lust. I think it involves more than just sexual sin. We know that Timothy was a young pastor, a young, a young preacher at this time. And maybe it goes beyond that. And maybe what Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, flee those, those ideas, those youthful lusts of, uh, of you becoming a somebody. Flee those ideas of you, you trying to make yourself a big cog in the synagogue. Flee those ideas of you trying to make of yourself a big name. 
It ain't about us. It's about Him. Hey, and I'll tell you something. The crowd that God really blesses is the crowd that's not about making the name for themselves. It's about making a name for Jesus. They flee some things, but then did you notice in verse 22, that real crowd, they follow some things. Look again at verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. But then he turns right around and gives us a positive now. He said, all right, you run from them things, but here's what you need to really run after. Follow this. Look at verse 22. Follow righteousness. Can I define that? Follow right living. Amen. Follow living right. You ain't getting it, are you? Follow living right. If it's right, follow it. Live right. We ought, to, we ought to pursue passionately. We ought to run after. As we run from, we ought to run after right things. Righteousness. Look at verse 22. Faith. Can I say it like this? Faithfulness. Boy, that's something we ought to pursue after. Faithfulness. Look at verse 22. Charity. Love. Hey, whatever happened to loving one another? Why do we have to be so critical and negative all the time? Whatever happened to God's people loving one? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have hate one for another. Is that what your Bible says? That's probably what them funky Bible says. The King James says this, If you have love one for another. We ought to run after loving each other. We ought to run after righteousness and faithfulness and charity or love. And we ought to run after peace. I, what that simply means is we ought not to be peace breakers. We ought to be peace. You ever notice some people ain't happy unless they got some kind of old stink being stirred all the time? Have you ever noticed people like that? They can't be happy unless they're stirring the pot. They're not happy unless they got some kind of drama going on in their life or they're, they're, they've stuck their nose into somebody else's business. They got no, no business sticking it in and they're stirring the pot, stirring the pot. Friend, we ought to run from that. We ought to follow peacefulness. Hey, I'm not, I'm not a bit interested in causing you any trouble. I'm not a bit interested in that. I want to help you. I want to reach out to you and love you and help you and preach you to you and teach you what the Bible has to say. I'm not a bit interested in causing you heartache and grief. I want to follow that, which is peaceful. I said all that. Man, that's that real crowd. And every time we walk in here, we used to shake hands with the real crowd. Now, we dap them. We chest bump. No, we don't do that. We, uh, we drop the bionic elbow on them. We say hello with the real crowd. But now, if you'll drop down to verse 25, I'm going somewhere. There's not only the them crowd. Oh, brother. Now we drop to verse 25, and we run into the those crowd. Now, if the them crowd, that's that delightful company of the real, next we meet that difficult company of the rebellious. Now, we got that real crowd here. Well, I'm so glad you're here. You're the real deal. You're the, as the old Coca-Cola commercial used to say, you're the real thing. Or if you're from the country, thing. Real. But next we run into a crowd that Paul says here in verse 25, he says, now, Timothy, don't be disturbed by this. But there's going to be people in that church that are there to tear things up. Let me read it to you. Look at verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, I get it. I, I get it. I understand 
that we ought to get that there's going to be opposition from without trying to hinder and hurt us. I get that. Don't you? I mean, we live in a world that is hostile and hateful toward the gospel. We live in a world that doesn't appreciate our Jesus and love our old-time religion. We, we live in a world that, that doesn't appreciate our Bible and our preaching and our, our standards. I get all that. I get it. There's people around here that don't like us and they're going to try to oppose us from without. But I tell you what I struggle with. It's when that opposition moves from out yonder and gets in here. I don't know about you, but I struggle. Why in the world would somebody who names the name of Christ want to try to tear the church up for? Why in the world would they want to just be, be opposing what's going on? Why in the world would they want to be critical and negative about everything that's going on over there at the, at, at the house of God? Boy, I love that real crowd. I preach to that rebellious crowd. Paul said they oppose themselves. You know, it's taken me a long time. I've been preaching since I was 18 years old, 57. You do the math. That's uh, almost 40 years, 39 years uh, that I have been preaching now. And it has taken me 39, it's taken me 35 years to learn a lesson that I just got a hold of just a few years ago. And the lesson was this. should have learned it earlier, but I got it now. There are just some people you can't help. There's just some people you just can't help. You know why? They don't want help. They're opposing, man. They're opposing themselves. They're opposing the Savior. They're opposing everything that's going on in the house of God. They're just rebelling against it. There are just some people that you just can't help. I don't know about you, but one of my pet peeves when I'm riding along, I can't stand for a fly to get in the car. You know, Solomon talked about that fly and the ointment. You know, a fly can really tear things up, can't they? I mean, you know, anybody who's ever slept with a mosquito knows there's no such thing as a small thing. And when flies, I don't know what it is, but when flies get in the car, I mean, it just it tears my nerves up. Here I am trying to drive down the road and just enjoy the drive and uh, going, uh, going along, and I mean, that pesty fly, it just won't leave me alone. He just, and I mean, he's just, he's all over the place. And you're watching him. And uh, you, you swat at him, and you try to hit him, and you try to kill him. And then you think, man, that's crazy, dude. And then you see it, and, he, and he lands over there on the passenger side window. I got him now. So you reach over and push the button, and the window starts going down because you want him to fly away. And he sits on that window, and there he goes, riding that window down. And you think, when he gets to the bottom, it'll flip him out. And about the time the wind gets to the bottom, he leaves there and flies back in the back seat. He flies on the back window. You put that window up, there he sits on, you start letting that one down. He rides that thing down again. And you think, when he gets to the bottom, he'll flip out. And he leaves that window and goes fly somewhere else. And I mean, there you are, you've tried to help him. You come out three or four day, days later, and there he lays in the back windshield. Tongue hanging out his mouth, eyes bugged out, legs fell off, deader, deader than a doornail. What happened? You tried to help him. He just wouldn't let you. And now he's in the back windshield dead. You know, there's people in churches like that. 
There's just some people. I used to beat my brains out trying to help people. I've just come to the place, not that I don't love people, I do, but I've just come to realize there's just some people you just can't help. You know why? They don't want help. I mean, man, they're satisfied with status quo in their life. And one of these days, they're going to come out, there they're going to be in the back windshield, dead on a doornail, because you just couldn't help them. Paul talked about the them that are real, but he talked about the those that are rebellious. They oppose themselves. I could go on, I could talk about this. In verse number 23, Paul says, hey, de decline their disputes. Decline their disputes. Don't argue with them, Paul said. Don't argue. You ever seen some people all they want to do is argue? Especially when it comes to the Bible. You ever seen people like that? Paul said, don't, don't do that. Don't just decline. Look at verse 23. Avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Avoid know that they do, know, knowing that they do gender strife. There's just some people, don't argue with them. I mean, man, uh, people maybe disagree with me on some of the things I say. We get to heaven. If I was right, I almost have tried to tell you. I may be wrong. I have to get straightened out some, on some things myself. But decline their disputes. But then look again at verse 23. He says that deal with their difficulties. Verse 24. Serving the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to realize there's some people I can't help, but I'm going to try to help everybody else that I can. The them that are real, the those that are rebellious. But then come to verse 26. And he talks about that determined company of the restored. Look at verse 26. He talks about the they now, that they crowd. And here's what he says, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. If you look at verse 26, I think the picture is of a Christian, of a fellow church member that got caught in a trap that Satan set for him. You do understand that we're living in a... In a in a world, a hostile world. And all over this world, Satan's got traps set for us. And if we're not careful and if we don't stay on our guard and be cautious as we travel through this world, we'll get caught up in one of them traps of the devil. I mean, he'll... he'll by the way, somebody said this, the devil ne never goes fishing without attractive bait. He baits the trap. He entices us. He allures us. And if we're not careful, first thing you know, pow! trap hits us. We, uh, I caught a little mouse the other day. I kind of suspected we had one in the, in the track. We have what we call a tractor room at our house where I used to park the tractor at. And the door has one door to get in. And, and, uh, and, and a little old mouse got in there. And I started noticing that little old thing in there. So I got me a mouse trap. Went to Family Dollar while I was buying toilet paper and got me a mouse trap. And uh, I baited that thing with peanut butter. Them crazy things love peanut butter. And that rascal, he'd eat that peanut butter off and leave me nothing there with just a trap, unthrowed. I mean, so I got me some cheese, pressed the cheese down on there. That sorry rascal, eat that cheese off there and somehow didn't throw that trap. So you know what I did? My uncle Alvey used to tell me that they love fat back. So I got me a piece of fat back and put on there. And I squished it and mushed it and I put it up under the little trigger thing, put it up under there and put it on the spring itself, I went down there, pow! <laughs> Took it out, threw it in the weeds, the dog got it, drug it back. You know what I did? I set a trap for it. I baited it. I caught it. I killed it. Boy, the devil's got traps set for us all over this world. 
And you know, let's just face it, there are people that come to our church that's been caught in some of those traps. That, boy, the devil baited the trap, and boy, he used that bait, and he got them in, and pow! And man, they got caught in that. They become ensnared, enslaved in that. But look what he said there in verse 26, they recovered themselves. I looked that word recover up, I thought, what does that mean? And it simply means this, sober up, wake up. You know, what, you know what he says? What he says happened is, here are some of you, you people that come to church with you, and man, they, they turn aside, they, they fall into a trap, into a snare the devil has set for them, and first thing you know, they're caught in that trap, but thank God they woke up. Thank God they sobered up one day. I can't help when I think about this, think about the prodigal son. You know the story, he went off into the far country, and man, he spent all he had down there with a bunch of harlots, and the bright lights and the busy nights and all that stuff allured him away, and he got down there, but he finally, he finally got down there, and he hit rock bottom and didn't have a thing, and there he sits on the fence slopping the hogs, you know, and I mean, man, he gets to thinking to himself about the father's house and about home, and, and he thinks about, man, what he used to have, and the Bible said that he came to himself. He recovered himself. He woke up. He's sobered up. Well, I'll tell you we, what we need to do when people go out here and get caught up in the devil's traps. We need to pray, God, wake them up. God, help them to sober up. God, help them to realize, man, that, that, that bait, the devil baited the trap, and man, he caught them in that trap, and now they're not, not at all. They're finding out it's not what, it, what, it, what he made it uh, appear to be. That's the way it is. So what did that prodigal do? He jumped off the rail, threw down the pail, and hit the trail. He's going home. And he got home, and he found a father with outstretched arms that was just waiting on him to come back home. And you know something? When some of our people go out here and get caught up in the traps and the snares of the devil, and it does happen. It really does. I had somebody tell me just the other night, somebody told me about one of our people here in our church. Hadn't been here in a while. And I love, I love this, I'll just say man, I love him dearly. Somebody's come to me and said, seen, seen old so-and-so the other day. I said, really? How's he doing? He said, well, I didn't get around him. I said, well, what, what, what's going on? Said he was, said I saw him, saw him drinking alcohol. I didn't want to embarrass him, so I didn't go up to him. And I got to thinking, now there's, there's a man that used to live for God. There's a man I personally think he's really saved, but he's got out here and fell into a trap of the devil. We need to pray, God, wake him up. God, so help him to come to himself. Help him to see what's happened and help him to get out of that snare that the devil has caught him in. Help him to get back right with the Lord. And before we ever get too high and mighty, may we just all remember, were it not for God's grace, we could all be caught out in sin. That's the reason the Bible says this right here. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. And then read the rest of this with me considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Buddy, every time somebody falls, our response ought to be not to talk about them, not to judge them. Well, I knew they weren't real to start with. I had my doubts about that crowd the whole time. I thought it was just a big old bunch of pretend. I really didn't think. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get in a prayer closet and close the door. First of all, thank God it hadn't happened to us because there ain't a one of us in here that's above it. You don't have to say it, I'll say it. Amen for all of us. Ain't a one of us in here is not above it. And then we ought to pray, God, help that old boy to wake up and get right with God.
and get back in church where he belongs. Amen. The they, the them, and the those. And every time we come to church, we meet that, that crowd every time in the house of God. Well, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much.